to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and I'm CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Dr. Andrew Mellon with me. He's the CMO from Shorescripts, and so we get to ask him all kinds of great questions related to that. So uh, welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've got a non-traditional background. You started off with undergraduate in Cornell, right? That's right. So Cornell is known for their very summery, nice beaches and warm weather, just like you have now in Minnesota, correct? Yeah, just uh, two months of summer here. <laughs> As you sit there with nine inches of snow out your window. So fantastic. You did start your life, though, as an internal medicine specialist and hospitalist. That's right. Yeah. And so how did you get into informatics? Tell us about that. Sure. When I was a resident, I had a great mentor, a physician named Mark Frissy, who gave me a lot of guidance about how to get into informatics and uh, some career choices. So I moved to the Twin Cities, where I live now, and I got connected with a small startup company called Abiton.com. They were a web-based EHR, really one of the early pioneers in e-prescribing and uh, connectivity to pharmacy benefit managers. So while I was there, I also simultaneously got an MBA. And that company was, that company Abiton.com was acquired by McKesson. So during my time at McKesson, I did a number of things there, ranging from working on our EHRs to working in population health solutions to analytics tools. So really a lot of time spent on the helping with provider facing tools. While I was at McKesson, I actually did leave there for about two and a half years in the middle where I worked at Alina Health, where we were implementing Epic. We implemented Epic at eight hospitals and 60 clinics. We were one of the early pioneers and doing the big bang approach with all their solutions at once, as well as mandating adoption for the physicians. So it was really hard. I learned a ton and it was a great experience. So over the past few years, I've worked at a few different companies. I worked at a company called Redbrook Health, which did health and well-being for uh, large employers. I also worked at a company that did healthcare communications. But I've been at right now at Scripts for about a year, and it's um, been a great year for me. I just want to go back and touch on that EHR Go Live that you did, the Epic Go Live in 2007. That went, sounds like, very successfully. I heard you guys got a Davies out of that. And What made it so successful? What was the one thing, if you could put your finger on it, was like, yeah, that really helped us, that worked. Yeah, I would say the one thing, more than anything else, was we had a really strong leader. This was, as many CMIO, know, CMIO knows, it's a big, big change management project. And especially at a time when this wasn't well accepted and well known. So we had a great CEO there at a, gentleman named Dick Pettengill, who made this his, really, his mission to get this done. He um, stood up for what was right and supported the team every step of the way. So it was a lot of work. It certainly, we had plenty of bumps in the road and some hard times, but ultimately were successful in the end. And again, a lot of credit to, to Dick Pettengill. Let's go on to your journey into Shorescripts here. Why did you choose that? What attracted you to the Shorescripts position as the Chief Medical Officer? Sure. Well, interestingly, Shorescripts was founded 
out of that Abiton.com company. So after McKesson acquired it, they spun off some of the people in the technology to form a company called RxHub. RxHub was originally founded working with the pharmacy benefit managers with a focus on connectivity for formulary ineligibility and mail order. So in that company, RxHub merged with SureScripts, which was focused on e-prescribing to retail pharmacies years later. So I knew many of the people that worked at SureScripts. I followed it since its inception, and I always appreciated how that company, how SureScripts, really was a pioneer near prescribing and led a lot of the country change, the regulatory changes, the process changes, building this giant network of pretty much every EHR, every pharmacy benefit manager, every pharmacy to connect and do e-prescribing. So what I think SureScripts realized a few years ago was the need to have a better physician voice. And they had done a lot of work. And as these tools have been embedded in EHRs, they wanted to have a stronger physician voice at the table to represent the workflows of the physicians and all the staff that support them. So they started talking to me. And honestly, I was really excited not only with the e-prescribing, but with some of the new things that they've been working on. So I get a chance to really work across all of our solutions and help the teams understand the world of physicians, how they use these tools. I get a chance to work with some of our pharmacy partners and help them understand the life of the physicians. And I've also been fortunate to visit a number of provider sites with the team where we can see firsthand you know, what works really well and where there's opportunities for improvement. So I'm so excited to have you on the show here because there's so much we could talk about that what SureScripts does. I, most of us know about SureScripts is what connects our EHRs to the pharmacies. We, we all get that. But I'm really excited about the price transparency piece. That's something that I've heard about recently. I've seen it in our own system in use. And I'd love to get your feedback in terms of how are people using it? Is it going in use in lots of places? How's it going? What's your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, so this has been a really great solution. and. Uh, I think for all of us who've been in the health IT world, almost never get quotes where they say, wow, I really want this clinical decision support tool. It really helps me a lot. And that's what we're hearing with this, which is really exciting. So a little bit of background. This tool was brought to the market, made live really in early 2017. And as of October of 2018, we have over 230,000 physicians using this tool, which is really great and the fastest adoption of anything we certainly have ever seen. So what does it do? As a physician is prescribing a medicine, one of the challenges for that physician has always been, can that patient afford the drug? In the past, you may have seen some formulary information, which is helpful to give you some relative cost information or relative differences maybe between two branded drugs, but you never knew what the patient was gonna pay out of their pocket. And that's a really complex calculation. It depends on obviously their benefit plan, but also where they are and their deductible for the year. Is it a copay versus a coinsurance and many other factors. So the goal was how do we inform the physician and the patient at the point of care so they can make a better decision and not only see the price, but have actionable information. So we've worked with really all the major EHRs and they've embedded this tool into their system today. So the way that it works is when a prescriber puts in the drug, the dose, the day supply, the quantity, that gets sent out through us to that patient's pharmacy benefit manager, to their insurance company. And within one or two seconds, 
what is returned back to the physician is that patient's out-of-pocket costs. So it's not a range, but it's really, it could be $2.87. It's exactly what they would pay at the pharmacy because it's running through that same claims adjudication, that same kind of rules engine that the pharmacist would do when the patient shows up. But what makes this even more helpful is not only is the person getting that price, but they're also getting alternatives. So the physician says, Macy, well, if you do this here, if you go to your local pharmacy for 30-day supply, it might be $30. But if you do it through a mail order, it might be $60 for 90 days. So you can see differences that way. You also see a number of alternatives, different drugs that may be in the same therapeutic class or other kinds of alternatives that could be lower price. And the EHRs have built this in a way where you can just click on that alternative, maybe change a couple things if you need to tweak the SIG up for a different drug, and then send it off. So it all happens really quickly. And the reason, some of the things that we're hearing about this are, first of all, the physicians are often engaging the patient in those conversations. They're showing the screen to the patient. They're having that conversation. They're making choices that maybe a drug is maybe a little more inconvenient for the patient, but substantially less money. Maybe going through a mail order will save them money. So those are important choices. But the other thing that I think is really valuable for the physicians is it eliminates rework. I think any primary care physician, any outpatient physician can share the stories of the times they get calls back from the retail pharmacy. The patient has showed up and they're surprised. They can say, wow, that medicine's $100. I can't afford it. And they either walk away, they're not adherent, or that's a phone call back to the physician to try to figure out an alternative. So it's trying to eliminate those surprises for the patients, which lead to non-adherence and decreased satisfaction and all the, all the sort of patient-centered act, things that we're trying to do. And it also creates re- rework for the practice because they're going to get phone calls from the pharmacy saying, hey, this patient's here and they just can't afford it. Is there something less expensive? So it's getting all that information to the physician right the first time, helping them make a decision with the patient preventing the rework and improving adherence. So in many ways, it's a win for everybody. And that's what we're hearing from the providers that use it. As a PCP, I love this thing. It is great because I can really work out with my patient in real time. Okay, is this something that you can do or not? My emergency department colleagues, they didn't used to do this, but they do now. Um, And it does reduce the phone calls back to them. They did have to put in some new workflow, so it's not like it's just flip a switch, because they were not used to getting the prescription benefit information at registration. And so we required some registration changes. We also had to do this in our primary care practices. It wasn't as big a a hurdle for them, but in the emergency department, that was a little bit tougher for the implementation, but they love the outcome. And when the patients are leaving, they'll get on their after visit summary, the paperwork they get when they leave, the prices are written on there. And so there isn't that surprise. So I think it's been good. Question for you though, some people ask, well, what about coupons and how does that factor in? What what impact do these coupons have on the price the patient's gonna pay based on what we see on the screen versus what we see on our cell phones when we pull up the GoodRx app? Yeah, so today what we do at SureScripts is we are primarily focused on connecting to that patient's insurance, their benefit plan, and bringing that information back. We know there are coupons out there and like you said, GoodRx, 
there's other ones there too. And those are typically paid for outside of the patient's insurance. So today we don't have those there. It's something we're considering in the future, but this doesn't preclude people from doing that if it's better for the patient. I've seen it particularly when I'm having the discussion with a patient saying, hey, I have to have the brand name. So I go, okay, <laughs> let's pull it up. And then they can make that choice and we can decide, is that really what they want to spend on this drug? So that's how one of the reasons I've used it. How else have you seen it being used that's benefited the patient? Yeah, well, I think one of the other big benefits that we see is that it was around prior authorizations. So I don't know of any physician that's ever liked to do a prior auth. The best one is the one that you don't do. And so what we're seeing really 25% of the time, physicians, when they make a change, they are choosing a medicine that doesn't require a prior auth. So in those alternatives that are returned, the EHRs will show a flag if it needs a PA or not. And so many times a physician can choose one that doesn't need a PA. The other thing that's also brought back too is other plan information. So for example, maybe there's a quantity limit of 15. If you go over 15, you need a PA, but if you do 15 or less, you don't need a PA. So that information is also presented to the provider. And again, they can make some changes to avoid that PA altogether. So that's, so that's interesting because point. sometimes if you're prescribing narcotics, there are those limits that some insurance companies have put in place and they all have different limit amounts and I can't keep it straight. So I could just use this tool to achieve what I need to know about limits around narcotics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the different plans will pre give you different information, like you said, but that's the concept. They're giving you a lot more information than you had before to make better decisions. The other thing it does too is that the plans will return information, including where that patient is in their deductible for the year or their out-of-pocket max for the year. So you may see, well, you're actually really close to your out-of-pocket max. So we'll do this now, but next time it's going to be different. The other thing to think through as any CMIO is, well, there's two things. One is this is more information. Physicians aren't used to getting this. And as I talk about it and what I hear from the physicians is, even though this is more information than you had before, and more definitely isn't always better in every situation, the value of this is spending the time to look at this, especially when you're doing something beyond what is a basic generic drug, saves you that rework. So there is a, a true time savings that comes with taking that extra couple seconds of looking at that information. I think the other thing as it, for CMIOs is, even though this is really straightforward to turn on, it shows up on the screens. I think most EHRs have done a really good job of including this in their workflows. This is new, and for many physicians, they aren't used to having these pricing conversations. They're not used to taking the time to do this. And I think some health systems are being much more progressive in including this, but for a lot of physicians, it's not something we were trained to do. So as this is brought live in your organization, I would encourage the CMIOs to think about this from a change management perspective. How do you make people aware? How do you make them comfortable about the accuracy and the trust of this information? How do you help educate the ones to ha give them some starter questions, some seed questions they can use to make them comfortable about having these pricing conversations? And I'll just say there's some really great research being done through Robert Wood Johnson and some other places to help guide providers in having those conversations. Hmm.
you touched into the prior authorization process, so I'd like you to expand on that a little bit more because I don't like doing prior authorizations. And you guys have a tool that's the electronic prior authorizations that seems to make this easier. I haven't had quite as much struggle when I'm doing these. Tell us a little bit about your experience with that tool and where you think it's going. Yeah, so the concepts with the electronic prior auth is really taking something that was either done maybe in a portal or via phone call and bringing it right into the EHR, right into the workflows of whether it's a provider or more typically their support staff and getting the prior auths filled out. So the concept is as a medication is prescribed and it needs a prior auth, that will get initiated through the EHR and sent out to the PBM. Usually very, very quickly, a minute or less, you're gonna get the questions back from the PBM. Now one of the advantages of doing it at the EHR is again, it's all in the workflow, usually gets a task to a work list you don't have to re-enter in stuff you might enter into a portal or a fax or anything. It already knows a medication and knows a patient. That It already knows a lot of that information. So you type in the answers and then it returns it to the pharmacy benefit manager. And many times we're seeing responses, approvals in a minute. So what a big, the big change for this. There's a couple of big changes. One is uh, it's less work when it goes through the EHR it just takes less time and we've had a lot of reports of that from the people that are using it. As it goes through the EHR, they just spend less time getting it done, which is great. The other big benefit is you get a response typically much, much faster than other ways. So you, you could get that PA, maybe your staff works it, and by the time the patient gets to the pharmacy, that PA is approved and the patient can pick it up. Again, as opposed to you know, an, what often happens is the patient shows up, the pharmacy says, oh, you need a prior auth. Let me notify my physician. Then there's delays and waits. So it's been great. There's still a lot of work to do on improving prior auths. I think what I've seen in the more successful sites is they look at this tool as a way, not just to make it electronic, but to really look at their workflows for doing prior auths and finding ways to streamline it or even centralize it. But it, it's typically much, much faster than and less effort than however they were doing it before. Yeah, I was going to say that the workflow is the piece where we're implementing this in our clinics. And they've got to think through now, okay, when this pyroth comes in, does it go to the doctor? Does it go to the, the medical assistant? Some have RNs in their offices that can do this. And answering the questions there is some medical knowledge required sometimes. Sometimes it's just historical. You're trying to prescribe a proton pump inhibitor that's name brand, they're going to say, well, hey, have they tried the generics first? A medical assistant can easily do a search and see if generic omeprazole has already been prescribed. So something like that, I think it's really been great to have to kind of offload some of that work where I can practice at top of license, the medical assistant can practice at top of license. That's been a joy to not have to do some of those things. And I know my colleagues have also enjoyed that as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, I would encourage anyone that's doing this before they just flip the switch to really spend the time thinking through the workflows, whether you centralize it within your clinic or centralize it across your organization. These are really things you don't want the doctor to deal with. This is not acting at the top of your license. And the way these are implemented is they work side by side in the EHR. So like you said, a medical assistant can look at a question, 
usually find that information pretty quickly into EHR and answer the question. Tell us about your population health solution. Uh, I'm, I haven't launched this yet in our clinics. I really want to. I'm excited about it. Tell us why this pop health tool is going to be so exciting for those who are in value-based contracts. Yeah, so this is something that's um, pretty new for us, and I th we're starting to see some really interesting results. So just to step back, SureScripts has been delivering medication histories for a long time. For most EHRs, when you look at a med list, you can pull in information from various sources, and it usually much of that information comes through the SureScripts network. So from the pharmacy benefit managers, through the claims history, as well as from the retail pharmacies. But the way that information has been delivered has been episodic when that patient shows up for a visit, which has worked really well. But as the world is shifting towards value-based care, you're thinking of things more as populations. You need updates on a more frequent basis. You need it across tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And you're really looking for key events. So the way that this works is various EHRs or other kinds of analytics tools can go through us and say, hey, here's my population of patients. You sh share that population with us. And on a periodic basis that you define we will pull all that information, get all that most updated information, and bring it into your population health analytics solution. Whether it's your EHRs or some third-party one, that information flows in. And one of the big differences, if you have a population health contract, you often get medication claims, but there's often a time lag for that. Well, with this, and sometimes you don't even get medication claims, depending on the kind of contract you have. So we deliver the pharmacy claims, which we pull from them pretty much on demand. So it's much, much more timely information. So I think that's the big um, step forward to be able to have updated, complete medication history, really to populate and drive your registries and your other population health analytics tools. The other thing that people may not realize is by getting the information from the retail pharmacies, you also get things that are paid for by cash or through a coupon or things that don't go through their PBM. So that augments that data in ways you don't get when you're just looking at claims data. So really excited. We've seen just some early sites go live. They're giving us a lot of great anecdotal stories and we expect to see some publications in the next six to 12 months around this. The use case I'm excited about with this in our state, in Maryland, we get penalized heavily for readmissions. And we know there's close to 40% of our readmissions are medication related. And typically, it's that they never got the prescriptions filled at discharge. So they come back to the hospital with the same thing that they were just seen for within a week. And I'm picturing being able to create a registry that on discharge, the patient populates into the registry. And then the next day or so, a case manager is going to run that list and see did the patient pick up their prescriptions and particularly we might use some risk scoring to just focus in on the high risk population i i think we could really intervene if we found out that the patients aren't picking up their prescriptions and send someone out to the house or something more you know, we need a good intervention but i really see the potential for this tool does that use case make sense yeah, that's an exact, that's a great one. And that's a perfect use of this. One of the other sort of event-based ways to view it, this is really brand new for us, 
something else we're excited about this is events because that we are knowing what's happening on a regular basis through these medication um, histories for a subset of those populations like you said those discharge patients or maybe ones with very complex conditions or maybe ones on patients with opioid challenges you want to look at them really really closely and not wait for maybe the care manager to look at your registry tool every few weeks, but you wanna know really quickly when something's changed. And so one example, what we have now is the ability to look at key events. When those events happen, we notify you. So a couple ones that are pretty interesting (laughs) is the ability, for example, to look at when a patient's picked up a controlled substance from a pharmacy. So if you have a sort of a population that you're focused on that, you can set up alerts around that. So, hey, this patient shouldn't have picked it up right now. You could also look for refills that haven't yet been picked up from their pharmacy. So when someone, some of those chronic uh, patients with complex diseases, when they're not picking up refills, hey, let me know about that. Even things like when a new therapeutic class is prescribed or a medication has been prescribed by a new physician that hasn't prescribed something in the past four months. So it's really interesting when you look at sort of near real-time knowledge of things happening for the patient outside of your health system, you can have a lot more informed decisions around uh, managing those patients. I could see our transplant centers loving something like that. They always want to know if someone's prescribing something that's going to interact with one of their medicines and cause a problem with rejection or something with the transplant. So that's a really powerful tool. Yeah, that's a great use case for that. I wanted to ask you about e-prescribing in general. It just it seems to me this is a no-brainer. It's safer, it's quicker, it's more convenient for the patient. They don't have to pick up this paper script and then take it to the pharmacy to get filled. But I have some providers that they still print their prescriptions. What advice can you give us CMIOs that are trying to move these docs into the new era? <laughs> this new era is actually pretty old right now. I it's know. Been a long time. <laughs> Um, I guess the first thing I would ask them is why they do that. I I mean, that's always the first question, right? It's hard for me to give advice until I know why they're worried. I mean, maybe they had a bad experience one time. Maybe they're worried the patient will pick it up or something and they're going to have phone calls back. There are some legitimate use cases still for printing. For example, if the patient doesn't know which pharmacy they're going to, but if they're consistently printing, I would just understand. As a CMIO, the first thing I do is ask why. What are they concerned about? It's As always you, because they don't trust their staff to get the right pharmacy. That's the thing I hear all the time. And yeah. that's in their control in my mind. That's just a teachable point to their staff. I guess they don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation. I mean that uncomfortable. Hey, get the pharmacy information. It's yeah. that simple. I, I mean, I know when I go to my personal provider, he says, I see you're going to CVS at this place. I said, yep, that sounds right. That two seconds of a verification probably takes care of that problem for him. But you're right. I mean, you try to, you have a bad process. Automating a bad process just makes a bad process. So in that situation, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Figure out how to work with the staff so they are, have a highly reliable process for picking the right pharmacy for the patient. Andrew, I think this has been great. It's been really informative for us CMIOs and provider informaticists that are really trying to learn about some pharmacy things that we don't always deal with every day. So this has been really helpful. If people had more questions around 
short scripts, how it can make patient care better. How do they reach you? What's the best way? Yeah, I'm certainly open to any CMIO reaching out to me personally. It's andrew.mellon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot M-E-L-L-I-N at surescripts.com. If you're an Epic customer, all of your Epic sites have a personal Surescripts account manager. They can give you great information and any other EHRs, you work through your EHR if you have sort of product specific uh, questions about how Surescripts works. But again, I'm more than happy to talk to any CMIO out there. Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIL Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. (music) 